Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. All right, so we're in this series called Supporting Cast. We're looking at characters in the Bible that oftentimes we haven't spent as much time with. These are more the minor characters, the ones that kind of pop up briefly and then maybe we don't see much again. We're looking at these different characters. And as we dive in today, I kind of want to just explore an idea with you, and I'm going to tell you a story to get there, but it's this idea. Sometimes we are the unfavored one. Sometimes in life, we are the unfavored one. So when I was in high school, um, I had a group of friends that I had really gotten close with throughout junior high, and, and uh, we just, we, we spent a lot of time together. Well, in junior high, I also became a Christian, started following Jesus at that time, and I noticed that, time, that as time went on, as we got into high school, there was just something that was changing in this relationship, the, the relationships that I had with this group. And uh, kind of just detected that, sensed something was up, and, and it ultimately culminated in the moment where I realized they were doing things without me. They were going places, they were hanging out, and they weren't inviting me along. And when I realized this, like, it was devastating. Like, I was, I was hurt. It, it hurt my feelings. Like, I thought we were good friends, and, and I'm seeing this kind of play out. And, and I think it did have something to do with faith. Um, I think we were just kind of doing a little bit of this and, and maybe that's okay, but it, it was that moment where I just realized like it's not what I thought it was. The relationship isn't what I thought it was and I'm, I don't have favor with them anymore. I'm on the outside looking in. Have you had moments like that? Have you had these instances where you're either like me with a group of friends and you're not being invited? Or maybe it's something a little more, more intimate, like a family member or someone you're dating. or like there's, you're, you're showing a lot of love and, and, and attention and it's not being reciprocated. Maybe you feel that in your job. Like you're, you're trying to do all that you can to, to, to contribute and, and do the best job that you're, you're called to do. And, and there just doesn't seem to be favor. Like you can't really get over that barrier. You just keep coming up against obstacles. Have you had these moments where you're just the unfavored one? We're in this series, and we're going to look at a character where this is true. She is the unfavored one. She is experiencing what we're talking about. But I hope that, as you've seen throughout this entire series that we're going to see with this character today, that these are all ordinary people. They go through what we go through, but they have an extraordinary God. We have an extraordinary God. And so on the surface, the question, like, what does God do? What does he have to say in moments like this? In moments where we are the unfavored one, where we're experiencing a lack of favor. What does God have to say about that? So today, we're going to look at the character of Leah. Maybe you're familiar with Leah. Maybe you know her story, but maybe you don't. But today, we're going to look at Leah who is the unfavored one in this story. And we're going to see what God does 
to meet her in that. So I invite you, if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. If you don't, we aren't going to actually have the words on the screen because there's a lot of text. There's a lot of this chapter. So I'm not going to throw the, the scripture up there. So grab your phone and pull up like a Bible app or get it online or whatever. I encourage you to do that because I want you to follow along. But if you choose not to, that's fine. We will read it all. We'll talk through a couple of key, key places. But Genesis chapter 29. So let me set the stage here of where we are and what's happening in the story. So we're going to talk about Leah today, but you first need to meet the person of Jacob. So Jacob is in the line of Abraham. We've, we've talked about Abraham before. God decided, like, I'm going to work through one family to bring about redemption in the world. And I'm going to choose Abraham. And he does. He chooses Abraham. And he says, I'm going to give you family. I'm going to make that family huge and it's going to be as numerous as the stars. And so sure enough, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. Now, these twins, Esau came first. He's the older of the two. But there's a, there's a competition between them. And essentially what Jacob is described as is a deceiver. That's what his name means. It's, it's a deceiver. He, he is wanting to manipulate and play the game. And he is not a good guy. Just be clear about that. He's not someone you want to follow or be like. And so what he's doing is he is manipulating situations. He does that to the extent where he manipulates his father into believing that he's Esau and steals Esau's blessing. The blessing from is like, I bless you as my son and the inheritance that would go with it. This is, this is Jacob. When Esau finds all this out, it is not good. So Rebecca, Jacob's mother, says, you need to leave. Go to my brother, your uncle, Laban. Go there, live with him, find a wife there. And like, you need to flee because Esau is ticked. And so sure enough, that's what Jacob does. He flees and he goes to Laban. And so we pick up the story at this moment where Jacob has just arrived. He's met Laban's um, shepherds, the people that work for him. He's very wealthy. And he kind of asks, like, how's Laban doing and all that kind of stuff. In the course of things, he meets Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. Rachel is someone that Jacob falls instantly in love with. And so he goes to Laban. He meets him for the first time. And he basically has this conversation. I want to work for you for your daughter's hand. And so that's where we pick up the story. So look down at verse 16 in chapter 29. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So pause there. So what we see is we're introduced to all these characters. We've got Jacob, we've got Laban, his uncle, and then he's got two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And the text tells us that Jacob loves Rachel. Now, you probably kind of noticed this. There's a contrast between the sisters. The way the Bible describes it is that Rachel's beautiful, she's lovely, but, but Leah has weak eyes. If you're reading the NIV, that's what it says. Your version, you might have a different one that says like tender eyes or delicate eyes. It's a little unclear about what this is. It could be a negative like, oh, Rachel's very beautiful, but she, Leah has weak eyes. She's kind of ugly, is like a euphemism or something like that. It could mean that, or it could mean something positive in that Rachel's very beautiful, but Leah's eyes are delicate or tender. There's beauty there. 
We're not sure, but clearly, this is where we need to stand. There is a contrast, and the contrast is not as much about who is more beautiful than the other, but that Jacob loves one and not the other. And that's the important contrast for this story. And so what we see right here is it's teeing up this tension between the two sisters. One is favored and one is not. So keep reading. Verse 19. Laban said, it's better I give, you her, give her to you than to some other man. So stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. That's not what you go say to your father-in-law, right? Like, why would you go? This is, this is Jacob's character. Like, this is who he is. So here, here's what Laban says. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah as his daughter's attendant. So what we see right here is Laban is deceiving Jacob. So they put together this feast, which was common. It's a wedding feast. And they go through like this week of, of all these festivities. And, and what's happening here is he's like, yep, we're going to have the celebration. And there's a lot of drinking. A lot of drinking. And Jacob probably got drunk. So much so that he's probably not seeing clearly, like he's very tipsy. And what they would also do is that the bride would be fully adorned. She would be completely veiled and covered. And so it makes sense why this could happen. Like if you're like, like how did he not know? He's probably not seeing or thinking clearly and, and Leah's veiled. And so what Laban does is he takes advantage and he sends her in. She's the one that Jacob ends up marrying. And Laban is doing what Jacob has done to people before him. Jacob is a deceiver. He's a manipulator. He's playing the game. And now, Jacob is feeling the consequences of that. Laban is deceiving him. And this whole situation is just a mess. And Leah, she's caught in the middle. Now, let me be clear. I think she knew what was going on and she was playing her part. I do think she was knowingly stepping into this. But put yourself in her shoes. He's been there for seven years and he loves Rachel. And I'm sure that's very clear. And what we're going to see is that this was a little bit, you know, like not how things are supposed to go. You're supposed to marry the older one first. And she probably did kind of fall in love with Jacob. But here she is going in, becoming his wife. Here's what happens next. So when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I have served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? There it is. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Here's Laban manipulating and playing the game. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. 
So right here, you see this contrast heightened to a new level. Leah is now married to Jacob, but so is her younger sister, Rachel, and Jacob loves her. And so she is the unfavored one. She's played her role in this. She's kind of made a mess of it, but right here, she's the unfavored one. Have you had these moments where you have been the unfavored one, whether it's of your own making or not? where you've just hit these times where you just feel like I'm on the outside looking in. When, uh, when my wife and I, we had finished seminary and we were beginning to search for like, what is God going to do next? What does this next chapter look like? We were looking for a church and a ministry. And, and we, we applied at a lot of places and kind of went down the process with several of them, but one in particular that we felt like, you know what, we think this one's it. We just sensed that like God was doing something and, and really bringing things together. And we went deep into the process and even got to that kind of final visit, final like interview and all that kind of stuff to the point where we were actually even like looking at houses, like, okay, where are we going to live and all that stuff. So after that weekend, I had a phone call on that Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, we'd actually like to go a different direction. All of a sudden, that door was closed. And I was like, wait a minute, like, I thought, I thought we were in, I thought this was what God was doing, and, and now suddenly that's not. And I felt like there was just a total removal of favor. Like, I'm, I'm not the one anymore. They're, they're looking for somebody else, and that was hard, it hurt, it hurt. But it was like there, I just, the door closed, and I was on the outside in an instant. What's that moment for you? What's that relationship for you? When you hit these moments, like, what does that feel like? And more importantly, what does God have to say about that? Are we supposed to rest in this? Is like this it? Or, or is there more to the story? What we see next in the story of Leah is God steps in. God is, is going to say something about this situation. And here's what God says. God shows favor to the unfavored. God shows favor to the unfavored. Look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. The Lord saw the Lord saw, he looked at Leah, he saw her situation, he saw what was happening, and she, he saw that she was unloved. And so what does he do? He enabled her to conceive. Now remember the time that we are. This was thousands of years ago, and family was the cornerstone. It was the cornerstone of life and everything, like society was built on this. And so having a family was the most important thing. You're to get married you were to have kids, ideally sons, through whom you could pass on your traditions, pass on the protection of family, and pass on inheritance and land. Like, that's how it worked. And so to not have children felt very shaming. It felt like we're not coming through, we're not doing what we're supposed to do, and like, that's really challenging, really hard. So what God does is he looks at Leah and says, I'm going to enable you to conceive. This is a gift and the gift of favor. God looks at Leah and says, I'm going to work through you. And so what happens is she conceives. Keep reading. Verse 32. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
She named him Reuben, and for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And this happens over and over again. The next son, she conceived again. She gave birth to a son. Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave this one to me too. So she named him Simeon. And again she conceived when she gave birth to a son. She said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Each of these sons is favor from the Lord. And she acknowledges that. But then she turns her eyes to Jacob. Now he's going to love me. Now he's going to be attached to me. She takes God's favor and turns to Jacob. She's looking for his favor. This is what she does with it. Now I want to pause real quick and I want to highlight something. What, what Leah is doing is she's looking for favor from Jacob. But the favor that comes from the Lord, what God is doing here is unique. See, as we highlighted, typically it's the firstborn son that becomes the one who carries on the family. He's the one who will provide leadership when, when his father dies. And he's the one who, who receives a double portion, an extra inheritance. And, and he kind of carries the load. It's that firstborn. But what you see with God is that he subverts that. Even with Jacob. Jacob is the secondborn of, of the two twins. It should have been Esau that received all that. But what we see is Jacob is the one through whom God works. God is choosing the uncharacteristic. He's operating against the grain. He's saying, I'm going to give favor to the one who's not normally favored. And Jacob doesn't deserve it. Like he's not, there's nothing warranted in him. Like, yeah, okay, it should be him. No, he's, he's the one that shouldn't get it. But yet, God gives him favor. But here we see that Leah is actually the older of the two. She kind of warrants a little extra favor, but she's not getting it. Jacob loves Rachel. It's the second born that's getting the favor. So what does God do? Ah, no, 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 hang on. I'm going to redistribute some favor here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to the one who's on the outside. I'm going to go to her, and I'm going to show her favor. That's what's happening here. God is even subverting the subversion to show the one who is unfavored favor. That's what he's doing here. But Leah, she's looking for favor from Jacob until something shifts with the next son. There's a shift with the next baby that is born. So verse 35. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. So what we see here is a shift with Judah. This time it's all about the Lord. There's no mention of Jacob. She doesn't have her eyes on him anymore. She's not looking to Jacob anymore. But this time I will praise the Lord for his favor. The three boys that were before... It's like, oh, now, now Jacob's going to love me. I'm giving him what he wants. Like, I'm giving him value. Like, she's looking for favor from him. But here, she shifts her perspective. Now, imagine, this probably, this was years. Like, it, it takes time for each boy to be born and all that kind of stuff. Like, she's been sitting in this lack of favor for years. And I think finally, she got to the moment where it's like, okay, Lord, 
I look to you. I look to your favor. I turn my attention to you. This time I will praise you. And she names him Judah. Now if you know your Bible, yours might be perking up a little bit. The original readers would have. Judah. Because Judah is special amongst all his brothers. Jacob had 12 sons. They would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they, they would become numerous. And each of those tribes, you know, was kind of a division of the, of the nation. But Judah would be the one through whom the kings would come. When Jacob's at the end of his life and he's blessing all of his sons, he makes this comment to Judah and says, the scepter will not pass from you. Rulers will come from you. The kings come from Judah. So it's David It's Solomon. It's the leaders of the nation that come from this baby, from this moment where Leah says, all right, I'm kind of done with this. I turn to you, Lord. And the Lord works in a unique kind of way in this moment of favor. Judah is the one through whom kings would come and ultimately through whom the king of kings would come. Because eventually Jesus would show up. He's from the line of Judah. And he's from the line of David. And what he does is he shows up and at his baptism we see something special about him. God himself speaks and said, this is my son. I love him. I am well pleased with him. Favor. There's favor on Jesus. He is the favored one, the truly favored one, the one who has done nothing wrong and is resting in the favor of God. And what does he do? He takes that favor and he shows favor to those who are unfavorable, to the marginalized, to those on the outside, the outcast. Jesus goes and sits and eats with them. He takes the favor that he has received and shows it to the unfavored. And then he would magnify that by going to a cross and saying to each and every one of us, you are unfavored. In your sin, in your brokenness, in the wrongdoing that you've done, you've put yourself out of favor. But I'm going to switch places with you. I'm going to take your unfavored, I'm going to put it on my shoulders and I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to die for you and I'm going to give you the favor that I have and I'm going to bestow that freely upon you. You now have my favor. That is your status. That is your identity. When you receive me, you receive my favor. That is who you are. This is what Jesus came to do. He extends favor to us. And it all started with a moment, with a shift in the birth of Judah. Leah was resting in the favor of God. Now, unfortunately, as the story plays out, she doesn't stay there. She gets into this competition with her sister. Rachel's jealous. She tries to have children through her servant, and Leah does the same, and they're in this competition back and forth. Who can can earn attention and favor from Jacob? So she lapsed. Leah didn't rest in this favor that God had bestowed upon her. She didn't stay there. 
And unfortunately, what we see is that she just fades from the story. We know she passes away. There's a brief mention of that. But once she's done having children, she just kind of drifts. She drifted from this place of resting in God's favor. But Jesus, his favor is secure. When we receive it, we rest in that. That is our identity. We are favored in Jesus. And so this is the good news. This is the good news that God wants to offer to us each and every day that we rest in this favor. And so big idea that I want you to walk away with today from this story is this. That we're to live in God's favor and extend it to others. We're to live in God's favor and extend it to others. What Leah did is she was pursuing Jacob's favor. And even in that moment where she gave birth to Judah and trusted God and like operated in this resting place in his favor, she got pulled back to wanting his favor. And we can do that too. We can want the favor of other people, favor of circumstances. We want things in our life to go well. And so we're operating to kind of make that happen. But what we see with Leah, that's not the way things are supposed to go. We are to rest in God's favor. We're to rest in him, the favor that he bestows upon us. That is the gift that he grants for us. That's what Jesus did. He rested in God's favor. He knew who he was. He is his son. God's working through him and he truly lived there. We're to do the same. We're not to operate out of this identity of I'm the unfavored one or I need to work to get this or I need to climb over people. I need to compete. Like, no. We rest in the favor that God has given us. And so in these moments where you feel like you're the unfavored one, where you feel like you're oppressed, you're on the outside, you're marginalized, you're not on the inside, God says, I give you my favor. You are in with me and that is what you need. Rest in that. That's your identity. That's your status. This is who you are. So no longer do we have to pursue the Jacobs and earn his favor and try to get his attention. We don't have to do that anymore. We just rest. We live in God's favor. But I don't just stop there. We don't just simply rest in it. We do what Jesus did. We extend it to other people. That's what he did. Jesus took the favor that he had from the Father and he reflected it outward. So anybody who was interacting with him could experience that favor. He showed favor to those on the margins, on the outside. He reached out to those who were not favored and says, you have favor with me. We're going to do the same thing. Go back to high school, you walk into the cafeteria, and you can see kind of the, the, the human dynamic before you, right? We got our cliques. And people like to be in their, their in crowd, like their, their, their group of people. And you always see somebody sitting by themselves. Maybe you've been that person. You're at the lunch table alone. You've certainly seen them, right? We're to go and sit next to that person. Show them some favor. Hi, what's your name? Tell me your story. We show favor 
to the unfavored. In the same way that Jesus extended it to us, we're to extend it to other people. So who is that in your life? I trust even now you're starting to think of somebody, somebody in your circle, somebody who you know that you just kind of sense is on the outside. And maybe, maybe they're a little hard to get along with. What's a small way that you can extend some favor to them? Jesus has done that for us. He said, even in your unfavored state, I give you favor and I change things. Now you're favored. Show that to other people. Who is it in your life that you could see, maybe see afresh, see anew, and extend some favor? This is what this story points us to, helps us see. And in the life of Jesus, we see him modeling this over and over again. We are favored. That is what happens when we choose to follow Jesus. We're called to extend that to other people. Church family, where everything is heading, we're heading to the new heavens, the new earth. When time is all done, when everything is wrapped up and we are at that final place, those who are going to be with the Lord are those who have received his favor. And we're going to live in a community where favor is freely extended. No more of these mitigated kind of barriers or obstacle kind of things. Like it is freely given. That is the kind of life we're going to live. That is the kind of community in which we're going to live. We can picture that right now. We can give people a taste of it by the way that we interact. So church family, will we give people that image? Will we let them experience a foretaste of what the new heavens and new earth are going to look like? Will we extend favor. Bottom line, we have received favor. This is what Jesus does for us. When we choose to follow him, we receive his favor. Live in his favor. Rest in it and extend it to other people. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you for the gift of your favor. Lord, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There was nothing that we could do to make you give us favor, yet you freely give it. And you take our unfavorableness, our unfavored status, and you take that away when we trust you. God, I pray for those of us who maybe we just not heard this before. This is the first time it's really starting to click. God, I pray right now you meet us in that. Lord, help us to receive you. Help us to receive your favor. And if that's you, come talk to me. Come talk to someone afterwards. We'd love to dive a little deeper into this with you. But for all of us, God, sometimes we forget. We forget our identity in you. We forget our favored status with you. And we pursue favor from other places, from other people. God, I pray that we would rest in your favor. Would that characterize the way that we carry ourselves, the way we live our lives? Would we rest in your favor? And God, I pray that it doesn't just stay with us, but that we extend it, we share it, we put it forward to other people around us. May they get a taste of your favor through us. Show us how we can do that, Lord. 
Show us who we can show that to and give us the courage to do so. God, thank you for your favor. You are good. And it's in the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.